I had already quit competing several years earlier, but my younger siblings were still into ski racing. So I was following their career. And I can't recall the actual race or year, but my sister was kind of in a long distance, quote unquote, friendship with a skier on the club team up in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. I remember they had a young Finnish coach and I don't remember if I actually ever saw him at a race or if it was just an announcement online. There's a strong Finnish Canadian community up in Thunder Bay. As a fourth generation Finnish American, I noticed it all. Growing up on Minnesota's Iron Range and getting into ski racing, we brushed up against Finnish-speaking kids when they dipped south of the border to race from time to time in Minnesota, which led us as young adults to bump up north to race against them on their turf as well. Many of the kids were actually speaking Finnish at those races, and I always thought that was really cool. So when the community then brought in a young Finnish coach, it stuck with me. Fast forward, oh, about a decade, and the U.S. biathlon team, of which I am an alum, announced the arrival of a new Finnish coach for their U.S. national team. I saw the picture. It was the same guy from Thunder Bay those years ago. It was Jonne Kakkonen. Thanks for being a Threshold listener. I really appreciate it. Going into this exciting winter of events in which the United States and Canada feature in World Cup competition, we wanted to turn the microphone around on me, at least Chris did, our producer, and ask me some questions. So Chris is going to do that, but he also wants help from you, the listeners. So this is your chance to ask me a question. To do so, go to Threshold with Chad Somala Facebook page and simply ask the question. We, we hope you'll appreciate this, this change in format and shaking it up a little bit. Uh, thanks in advance for listening and for your questions. Let's have a great winter. This episode of Threshold is brought to you by Solomon. Solomon has committed to a responsible tomorrow by refocusing the entire company and its operations to create responsible products with a smaller footprint on the environment. Solomon's goal is to drive change within our communities by creating more inclusive outdoor experiences. At the same time, they are committed to conducting their business responsibly while delivering high-performing products with the most innovative designs. You can enjoy winter knowing that Solomon is taking steps to preserve that winter for you to enjoy. When we all act responsibly, tomorrow is yours. Check out Solomon's full line of skis, boots, clothing, and accessories at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Solomon, tomorrow is yours. In high-level ski sport, any national team coaching staff works as a team. Coaching in that setting at its best is a relatively obscure profession outside of the limelight. I can't speak to the efficacy of Yone Kakkonen as a coach up in Thunder Bay, but I have noticed that good things have happened as a member of coaching staffs he's been at that I'm more aware of, like the U.S. biathlon team and the Finnish biathlon team. One can't simply say carte blanche that any coach of a multi-coach program is quote-unquote responsible for the results of the group. But one can say that as a member of that coaching team, the results speak for the job the group is doing. And as a coach in that program, it certainly infers some ability at that job. So while we might not pin the exploits of Kaisa Makarainen, Susan Dunkley, or Claire Egan to the work of Jonne Kakkonen, he certainly was, at the very least, privy to the inside machinations that brought such athletes their success. So when Yone ends up the new shooting coach of the Italian biathlon team last year, if you're an observer of it like me, you're going to watch what happens. And here's what happened last year. Upon his hiring, star athlete Lisa Vitozzi was in a massive shooting. I wouldn't even call it a slump as much as a total breakdown of confidence, at least in her prone shooting, which was essentially keeping her off the podium. 
and sometimes even at the back of the World Cup field. The young Italian men were on the verge of success, but they just hadn't quite put together a shooting performance with their skiing ability to earn a World Cup podium finish yet. Vitozzi and co-star Dorothea Vier threatened week in and week out to put the Italian women's relay on the podium, but the shooting performances of the younger athletes on the team just weren't quite what they needed to be for consistent high-level results. Since Kakkonen's arrival in Italy, however, Vitozzi completely turned her shooting scores around and at present has been unbeatable in summer international roller ski biathlon events, posing her as perhaps the biathlete to chase in the 2024 World Cup season that is upcoming. The emerging Italian men got their podium last year, but the coup de grace was the Italian women won the 2023 World Championship Relay, the first in history for that country, largely off of an incredible performance on the shooting range. Heading into the 2023-24 IBU World Cup season, Threshold had to welcome Jonne Kakkonen and talk to him about his rise with Italian biathlon and discuss his coaching career as well as the World Cup overall and the picture for the Crystal Globes for the coming season. Jonne, welcome to Threshold. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you. So where are you right now? Right now I'm in Ramsau, Austria. Oh, nice. That's, a, that's, a, that's an ugly place to be. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you have and you're having an Italian national team camp right now, correct? Right. That's right. The women's team's camp is uh, is running right now. Okay, so you're kind of a guy of the world. Like you're 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 from Finland, and you know my wife is Finnish. You just talked to her before the show here, um, and, and and I'm going to go out a little off topic. So you're a Finn. You've lived all over the world, including the United States, but. The one thing I have to ask you is a guy who has to try to learn Finnish or I've been trying to learn Finnish for greater, well, for most of my life as, as a Finnish American. How do you survive uh, going around the world, living in different parts of the world with people just butchering the pronunciation of your entire name? Because you've got all the Finnish things. You've got the umlauts, you've got the double consonants, the single consonants, you've got the, you've got the umlaut, um, 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 verification so you to say your name say your name in actual Finnish terms so the full name first of all is Jonne Kähkönen that's right. how you pronounce it in Finnish right. and to answer your question I got used to it <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. true they, they butchered it so many times that I just don't care anymore <laughs> Right, right. I mean, I mean, I have to say it right because my wife will just cringe if I say Yoni Kakanen, you know, right. or Yoni Kakanen, or Yoni Kokanen, or whatever, you know. So, anyway, so, so we've got the pronunciation right. I'll, I might have to actually, as I introduce this thing, go back and actually listen to yours before I say it. But Yoni Kakanen, I think I've got it pretty close because you got to get the H in there, right? Very good. Okay. I have to share a story. When I was coaching the U.S. biathlon team, for sure, yeah. the athletes they really wanted to learn how to pronounce my name right, and at some point was partly a joke, but I think. Low Bailey just gave up on it, so he he yeah. named me Johnny Coconut. Johnny Coconut, okay, all right. Well, that'll be the title, <laughs> Johnny Coconut, just, just to get some hits on it, some some clickbait. <clears throat> That's great. So let's let's uh, we've broken the ice a little bit. Let's go into kind of how you got into coaching. I know you've been a lot of places. You spent a lot of time in the United States, but uh, you know I don't, I, I got to say I don't really. I knew you were in Thunder Bay as a cross country ski coach for a while, but why don't you just go back, kind of back right. to the impetus of it? Like, how did you fall in love with with ski racing and coaching ski racing and biathlon? So if if I start from the start, start from the beginning, I I was really enthusiastic. I always dreamed of being the Olympic champion. That never happened, mm -hmm. and. As I started to study at the, the, the University of Uvascula, I, I realized that I really did not have the coaching support that I should have had when I was 
a younger, enthusiastic athlete. And that yeah. sort of was the drive that I, I wanted to study. I wanted to learn about the sports in general, but especially about cross-country skiing and later on about biathlon. So while I was at the university, actually a little bit before that already, I started to coach the provincial team in Finland. Uh, for a moment before I, I moved to Canada, I was uh, sort of a C-team cross-country uh, coach in Finland. It was not, not officially a C-team, but all the athletes were young and up-and-coming and just outside of the A or the B-team. And yeah. that was for sure a push towards a coaching career. And then when I got the opportunity to, uh, to uh, try or you know, become a professional coach uh, in Canada to, to uh, coach at the training center in Thunder Bay, that really made, you know, finalized my decision that this is really what I want to do. Yeah. So how did you describe how you got to Canada? I mean, Thunder Bay has a huge, exp, well, first, even first and second generation Finnish Canadian population. Was that kind of the connection for you to get there or was it something entirely different than that? In a way, yes. Um, there were actually two prior Finnish coaches uh, coaching in Thunder Bay. Uh, Pekka Kempi was one of the, I think the first coach ever to coach in Thunder Bay. But even before him, Reyo Pueras was one of the Canadian yeah. uh, national level uh, cross country skiers, and Reyo was. Uh, I see that he was the you know the initial force of uh, you know searching for Finnish coaches, good reputation, uh, yeah. good Finnish mentality. So he really believed in that. Yeah, and he was running a training center in Thunder Bay for cross country skiing. Yeah. So I, you know, I grew up on the Iron Range in Minnesota, which is about two hours, two and a half hours from from Thunder Bay. I, I remember going up there and racing. Uh, the kids are speaking Finnish. It was it was amazing because being a Finnish American family, we just thought that was great. And my the I did my thesis work actually on Finnish ethnic identity and festivals, and I started realizing that there was a there was actually a, an influx of Finns in the fifties to to Thunder Bay, which was made it very very Finnish up there. Did you notice? Did you did you enjoy that? Did, did you find first of all when you got to got to Thunder Bay, were you, were, you a, <clears throat> were you surprised to find all these Finnish people? A little bit, yes. I knew about the history, but then to realize that you, basically, you did not have to speak English to, you know, be able to live your life. There was a Finnish yeah. bank, Finnish restaurant, basically right. all the services that you could imagine a Finnish store yeah. to, you know, buy yeah. a normal uh, everyday life uh, goods. <laughs> so that was a <laughs> bit of a surprise for sure. Yeah. So, what were what years were you up in Thunder Bay? And what, what, uh, when did you start? And when did you leave? I started 1999, and I stayed three years, so 2002. Okay. And and what what drew you away from that? How did you? Where did you go from Thunder Bay at, um, after coaching the club up there? That's the typical story. Love. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I, uh, I found. I I first met my wife uh, 2001. So after that, I decided that, okay, I'll, I'll continue the, the last year of my uh, agreement there uh, and then decided to move back, not to try to bring her over, but to move back to Finland. Yeah. And so what was the next job you took after that? Where did you go from, from, from Thunder Bay? Then I continued coaching. So um, I guess it was, it was a bit of a mix. I was, uh, you can say, the physical or the ski coach of the junior national team of biathletes, the biathlon team. Mm -hmm. Uh, and at the same time, I was a uh, wax tech for the for the World Cup team for the seniors for biathlon at that time. Okay, and that's so basically that's, when that, I started the you, biathlon career. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So, so it was a was there just an opening and you applied for it, or did you get tapped for that job? How did that? How did you get that job? Uh, 
I think it was sort of a coincidence. So as I moved back, I wasn't quite sure what I would do next when I moved back from Canada. Uh, but then uh, I heard that the, the junior team was looking for a coach or assistant coach at that time. And a good friend of mine, Tony Roponen, was uh, uh, involved in biathlon already at that time. So he, he said that I should look mm -hmm. into that and, and, you know, potentially through in my application. And then, you know, one thing led to another. He was short of a wax deck for the seniors at the World Cup at that time. So I said that, sure, I can do partly uh, a scheme and a wax deck life and, and be a part-time coach as well. Okay, so then you ended up, from there, you ended up coming to the United States. And, and uh, what was the timeline? How many years were you with Finland before you went to the U.S.? So from 2002 until 2010. So after I was part-time junior team coach for biathletes and doing some uh, wax tech, some uh, service for the seniors, uh, 2006, after the games in uh, Torino, then I, I started uh, as a head coach of the, of the senior team for biathlon. So 2006 okay. until 2010. In, in Finland? In Finland, for the Finnish team. In Finland, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so how did you end up, from there you went to the United States, and, and we'll get into the United States part of it a little bit more in depth, but I just kind of want to follow that trail, like how did you end up from Finland in the United States as a coach of the national team? Well, I, I learned this story, I guess, a couple of years after I already had moved the whole family at that point to the U U.S., and uh, the... Uh, the team leader or the sports director, Brent Eisenbichler, he said that it was one incident when he really realized who I was and, you know, sort of did the headhunting to mm -hmm. look for the coach. But there was one incident that his laptop doing the splits at the World Cup was not working. And I was there as the head coach of the Finnish team and I only had my small uh, Nokia cell phone <laughs> which had the internet connection one of the yeah. first ones at that time so he was blown away by that and he you know started to look into my background and and one thing led to another cool so you move your family to to lake placid and, and uh you know how how was that how how did your family uh, well your wife how how did she how did she take that like was it a was it a big cultural shock for you or was or did you was it pretty easy to sell her on it i think game the end was was really easy. Um, yeah. I think both of us had, you know, the idea, sort of the dream to see the world, you know, travel. And once this opportunity arose, then we were we were sold right away. And and you came in as the head women's coach, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. For us. Yeah. So this is your that's your first there's your first national team head coach job. It's you're with the United States, living in Lake Placid. Your family's moved there. You've committed to this pretty much. So tell me how like. What was the what was the what was the the focus shift, or how did you start to develop your your own head coaching style in the United States? Like, how, how did you develop as a coach in that head coach position? Actually, it was the second one because I was the second. head coach of the Finnish team oh, oh, already, two thousand six okay. to two thousand ten. But um, yeah, for me, it was a huge opportunity uh, with a bunch of younger athletes that I, I saw the potential in them, and yet at the same time, you know, we were at the point with the U.S. Uh, women's team were getting into the pursuit was not every day. You know, it was not normal that right. they would be there or not to mention right. to make it to the mass start. So I see it as a, so, as a huge uh, opportunity. It was little, also, yeah. was a big challenge to, to, you know, try to think about the ways how to raise the level. So basically I tried to share obviously all my experience from the past years. And for sure at that point, 
mm-hmm. I, I was lucky to have a, a colleague like Ben Nielsen as the head coach of the the whole team and, and of the men's team. Right. Yeah, we've had Pear on a couple times on this on this episode. We're friends with Pear as well. Uh, so just talk a little bit about the difference, like. You know, one th- well, you'd been to Canada, you went back to Finland, but you've mostly been to Canada and Finland at this point. You come back to the United States and, and you come as the former head coach of the Finnish biathlon team. Now you're the head coach of the U.S. women's team. What was the mentality? Was there, what was the cultural difference? Did you, were there cultural things that you really had to be aware of coaching levels at that, uh, coaching athletes at that level in two di- from two different countries? Like, what was the difference between, if there were any, between Finland and, and American athletes? I think back then, 2010, in general, uh, the athletes that I started to coach in the U.S., their knowledge about the training was fairly good. For sure, I saw that they were not so experienced, not so many years of training uh, done at that point. But also, in general, you know, things about life, how how to you know periodize the the day, the week, the month, right. and so on. You know, just to teach them how to be an athlete nutrition all of these things that are you know they're a big part of the the athlete's career athlete's life did you feel like that was there was just a a greater level of education on that lifestyle in finland than in the united states at that time i think that there was a difference uh for sure some individuals were already on a good level so you cannot generalize and say that all were on a on a level like like always but uh but in general i would say that the Finnish or the Scandinavian uh, high school system gives a really good background or a good base uh, to become a professional athlete. Yeah, I mean, we we noticed that in our year living in Finland through COVID. Our, just our, you know, we, we lived in Uvascula where you went to university and got your degree. And we'd be walking through town and the hockey players would be warming up and you know, jogging. You know, we live in northern Minnesota where hockey is just as big, if not bigger than in Finland. And I've never seen a kid warming up on a hockey rink outside running in running shoes ever in my life in 50 right. years. I mean, you see that difference. And, and just the, you know, the, the data, they, the, the university actually wanted to sign my daughter up for a study where she would wear a heart rate belt for like three time, three days a week just to see what her activity levels were. And, you know, you see none of that going on in the United States with all the money it's got. So I, that, that's a really interesting um, cultural difference. No, no. Now spin that. I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of come off the timeline a little bit and look at Italy. You're you're coaching Italy right now. Right. If you had to, if you had to describe the the cultural differences between Finland, the United States, and Italy as a national team coach, where would Italy fit into that that trio? Like, wh- what are the, some of the differences that you've had to adjust to as the Italian coach now? Um, right now, I would say that for sure the impression that I have after just one year is that. Americans are social, but for sure there's still there's a difference that the Italians mm-hmm. they need to be together. You know, it's it's part of the yeah. it's it's culture, it's the way of life. You know, especially yeah. if you think about the dinner, uh, the families get together. Uh, you're seldomly eating alone, <laughs> for example. Yeah. Which, if you yeah. compare to Finland, uh, then it's completely different. It's totally normal that you would have a dinner by yourself. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Is there anything from a from a from an athlete? mentality just just from like how sport is structured in the in the three different countries and how the how they that might manifest itself with the athletes you're working with now yeah for sure there are differences now i'm trying to think what what would be a clear example um i think finland is an easy example to take away from the two from the u.s Mm -hmm. and and from italy because you know these teams that i was coaching 
both in the U.S. as the women's head coach and, and now the Italian team. Now all the athletes are national team athletes. They have no other yeah. program. Whether or whereas in uh, in Finland, almost all the athletes have their own personal coach. So it's always coaching a Finnish athlete. You need to be coaching the athlete and the personal coach as well. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 another layer of detail that maybe the other two countries don't have. For sure. Um. So, so, uh, you've you've made your way now for what probably the twenty three twenty four years as a coach now, and you're having a lot of success in Italy. And we're going to get into that. I want to talk a little bit about Italy. That's kind of one of the big the big things we want to get into. But I, I still am interested from your own perspective. You know what are what are some of the personality traits you feel make you an effective biathlon coach at this level, and, and what are some of the coaching aspects that are fairly natural to you uh, that have worked out for you at this job? The one thing that I, I keep hearing from all the athletes, uh, from my colleagues also, is that you know I have patience, <laughs> especially <laughs> coaching some athletes who yeah. tend to be overactive. You know to let them. <laughs> blow the steam and then get to yeah. the point. Uh, so yeah. definitely a lot of the athletes are have been you know, thanking me for being there, for listening. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I think I'm, I know I'm, I'm really firm. You know, if there are things that I need to get done, I, I want the athletes to do, then for sure I will push through. And that's pro probably, you know, the fin in me. Yeah. Because also the US athletes, they, they describe me as stubborn. And I think it's okay. not negative, but it's a good thing. I'm, I'm really determined yeah. to, you know, accomplish something. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and how does that, how does that manifest? Do, do you find yourself getting, having stressful relationships at sometimes just culturally compared to when you were coaching Finland? Was it easier for you to coach in Finland than it is in the United States or, or Italy? In terms of the athletes, I think it's, that's fairly similar in all the countries. Mm -hmm. But in Finland, you know, the structure is, like I said, you know, to, to coach not just the athletes, but, you know, have good communication with the personal coaches, you know, sort of coach uh, the coaches as well. Share your ideas, you know, explain why I want this and this done. It takes a lot of energy, you know, it takes a lot of time, first of right. all. Right. And then on top of that, the Finnish biathlon team, for example, the resources are much you know, smaller than uh, compared to the US team, not to mention right now with the Italian team. So for sure, right. the workload was much greater there. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just how did, I want to talk a little bit about now your time in Italy. How did you find, how did you get tapped for that job? I mean, so let me just set it up a little bit. You, you've got a, you got a national women's team in Italy. And, and are you the men's and women's team or just the women's team coach? Just the women's team coach. And, that, and you've been doing that for a little over a year now, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Italy has a big turnover in there. They basically the coaches retire after the Beijing season, and um, you know it, it's not clear to me still to this day that there. And I don't know that you can comment on it, but there was some, there was something going on in the Italian camp that just didn't that that wasn't producing good results. And Lisa Vitozzi was having all kinds of trouble. So how did you, how did you even enter the conversation? as the potential coach do you know do you know how that happened as uh, at least from from backstories or yeah yeah for sure i've talked with my boss you know the, our technical director and he said that early on during the olympic year during the beijing games or before and after mm -hmm. he was aware of my coaching career he definitely remembered the results uh, with the us team and also you know later 
after the US trip, uh, what I accomplished with the Finnish team, especially the men's team, that I really mm-hmm. tried to push up uh, to take the, yeah. take the next step. And I guess they're also, after the games in Beijing, I was not sure what I was going to do. And there were rumors at the World Cup that I would be finished, that I would retire from coaching. And that's mm-hmm. when uh, you know my my current bo- boss Klaus he he already gave up. He thought that you know there's no chance. But then uh, I think it was Bernd again <laughs> who said yeah. they they had a conversation, and Bernd said that no no I, I think he's still interested in coaching. And that was the you know the push for Klaus to send me a message, and and he contacted me. Uh, we talked a couple of times. I was for sure interested uh, to learn more, to hear more. And uh, yeah, after a few more meetings, uh, we agreed on on the contract. Okay, how excited were you for that job? Extremely excited. Yeah, <laughs> already at that yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you look at what has happened, and that's kind of what we're going to get into now. So, I, I want to start with let, let's just put Lisa Vitozzi on the table right now, and I think that. For the listener, if you're not really quite aware, Lisa Vitozzi, um, an absolute uh, star junior biathlete, as a young senior, went to the top level um, long before Yone was the coach there, and then started having trouble on the shooting range. And and you know this is kind of this is this is one of the big reasons I wanted to be on this show because right now Lisa Vitozzi can do no wrong. And just two years ago, I mean, I remember my colleague, American colleague, who is used to calling American sports in a very American way, and um, you know, just kind of having a very harsh, a harsh tone about Lisa Vitozzi's meltdown on the shooting range two, three years ago, where she just couldn't hit. She was having all kinds of mental blocks on the on the prone. Now she's she's solid. So talk a little bit. I mean, I'm gonna I want to I want to let you freeform a little bit about what you when you came in and where Lisa was and how the two of you because you, you the two of you do seem to get along just in the pictures and social media. Um, it seems that you guys have a connection, and, and just exp- just kind of describe for me how that connection came about. Well, we have to backtrack already before I I walked in before we had before we met the first time, you yeah. know, to work together on the first camp right. a little over a year ago. Uh, Klaus, the boss, was asking, you know, for sure, Lisa, first of all, if she would be okay having me as a coach. And I guess they had a couple of other options as well. So mm-hmm. I got the okay. It seemed like, you know, this could work. And then after uh, we agreed on on uh, starting to work together, at the very first camp, uh, we sat down and I said to Lisa that I'm here for you and I want to be open. I want to share my experience. I want to, you know, help you as as good as I can, but I want you to be open also. So it's it's not just that I teach you, but you need to be open to you know hear what I have to say, and I think after that first talk, this was basically the conversation put in very short, mm-hmm. but but basically yeah. what, what we talked about at the first meeting, and you know after that it seemed like things were it was not easy. <laughs> I have to say right, that. right, the first right, right, right. first few months for sure we had to change a few things, and as I said, I, I explained that you know every coach has an opinion on the position, for example. I have my opinion, so I will share it with you, and then you have to t- try it. We'll have to see if the results are, you know, matching with the feeling, with how it looks within within my eyes, and and so on. So, mm-hmm. again, one step at a time, which I repeated several times: to be open, to try, to experiment, and then the main thing, what I said, is to find the right way to work together. And I, mm-hmm. I believe we have we have done that. 
Yeah, so let's go back to that. I mean, we both have backgrounds in biathlon, and it might be getting a little into the weeds for people who aren't actual biathletes, but we both know that shooting is equal parts, it's probably equal parts technical and, and, and psychological, that sometimes it is the technique, and sometimes it is not the technique, or it's not the position, it's just psychology, but but they, but one can have, have an effect on the other. So what do you think were some of the things that clicked for Lisa to get her, not just her prone shooting, but her shooting back? back together, um, you know, both position-wise and, and psychologically, psychologically? Well, some of the things, I, I think to summarize, it's exactly what you already said, that, you know, we change a few things, which I always say that sometimes, okay, it is psychological, but when you make, you know, a practical change, you, you right. move something by one centimeter, the athlete knows that mm -hmm. we changed something that for sure changes the feeling. A shooter, yeah. an athlete like Lisa Vitozzi, she can feel the minor details that you know me or you probably would not even notice so that's one thing to make a change to change something but then also it is what we discussed a lot on the first few months and and, and during the first year to have an open conversation you know if something is not working then we need to sit down and, and think about options how to move forward and i think we got along you know got off to a good start you know mutual respect and uh, and the confidence, like I said, yeah. I, I said to Lisa early, that if you tell if if this is what you say to me, I trust you. Then we'll have to work a little bit, so that you need to convince me that this is working. But I will let you try. Okay, so there's no doubt now that she is on. I, I use the analogy that that great great performance and great fitness is like surfing. You're up on your surfboard and you and you're riding the wave. And you seem to be riding a wave. I mean, Lisa, Lisa went around to multiple countries and multiple competitions this summer and just basically cleaned house. Like she, she is looking unbeatable on roller skis. Um, is that, uh, and, and does that, does that make you feel like maybe she's the favorite for the, for the world cup overall this year? Uh, I would definitely say with good confidence that she's one of them, but right. at the same time, there are a few of them for sure who are equal. So as always, you know, we need to be humble, <laughs> not to, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, take a bite before the cake's on your plate. <laughs> Solomon has been an outdoor industry leader for nearly 75 years, and they see action as the way to continue to lead in the modern world. That requires Solomon to lead in sustainability. As a company facing all the modern challenges to the natural environment in which we all play, Solomon has a renewed passion to act as a catalyst, connecting the innovative power of the people of Solomon, partners, innovators, designers, and athletes, to co-create the most responsibly performing products and businesses. Solomon is committed to transform people into agents of positive change, knowing when we help preserve the outdoor spaces that touch your soul, you can feel good about the products you use in the outdoors. You can find out more about Solomon's full lines of outdoor gear, clothing and accessories and discover their commitment to sustainability at solomon.com that's s-a-l-o-m-o-n.com solomon tomorrow is yours so one of the biggest things that happened this last winter that was um part of your life is that the 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 italian women's team won the world championships in the relay and 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 going back to my former commentator with nbc he loved the Italian women's biathlon story about how we could you could get three athletes but not a fourth, and, and you you did it you did it this at this year's World Championships. 
Tell me a little bit about what went into that performance day. Like, how did the team pull that off? Like, if you had to just like find three or four points about why that, why you guys won that relay. I think number one would be talked about a lot with our uh, head coach Alex. It was that we saw that potentially Doro and Lisa can be fighting for a podium. You know, mm-hmm. probably winning a race uh, any given day. But at the same time, the other women basically are not experienced enough, not you know quite strong enough to get good individual results. So the first step is to try to put together a good team performance for all of them to, to you know have a little taste of the success. So we talked yeah. about it a lot. We trained for the relay. We did some you know specific uh, training sessions, not some, but mm-hmm. <laughs> actually quite a lot to quite really lot, yeah. focus on the relay. And I think the team bought into that. You know, they realized that yes, we have two elite level athletes already in the team, and you know, then we had three, four, five girls who knew that they could be part of the relay team uh, mm-hmm. to, like I said, taste a little bit of the success as well. Which was the next step was that we basically had the frame, the four women who were on the team, and then uh, I, me, and and our head coach Alex, we we had a hunch that. It could be good to, you know, try to push for the fifth one just to have a reserve, just in case one yeah. of the four, you know, core members would get sick, and to see also the potential of the fifth one. So this was Hanna Auchentale, and yeah. uh, and Hanna was for sure close, but not quite as consistent as Rebecca Basler. So mm-hmm. this was one of the things what we I said that we need to try, we need to change the the lineup uh, prior. To the world championships and mm-hmm. that's what we did uh at the ante selva world cup which would, did not go so well hannah had a penalty loop there you know for sure home audience world cup first time on the relay already podiums for the team before that so it was a tough place to be but now she had the first relay done you know under the belt and then at the time of the world championships these five women were really you know even uh, okay, let's say the, yeah. the first two a little bit higher up, yep. but uh, especially you know Samuela was maybe the clear third, but then fourth, fifth. This was not an easy decision for us to make. Right. right. And then you know we looked at the performance of the day, decided to go with Hannah, and you know she came through. Yeah. So what does that do now to the dynamic going forward? They, they win the world championship. I mean, it's it's in all in all. From all angles, it is a absolutely spectacular result. I mean, if you look at the number of nations who have won the men's and the women's relays in biathlon at the World Championships and the Olympics, it's a small, it's actually a relatively small list of countries. And Italy was never on that list. So what does that, what does that do both for your program now and for you as a coach going forward? Well, for sure, I, I think for for all of us in the team, which uh, was a huge boost of confidence that we we can do that, do this, uh, it is possible. And I think also not just the women's team, but also for the boys. I mean, they they were the two top guys were great on the on the mixed relay, Tommy on the on the single mixed, and then to mm-hmm. see that that the women's team can pull this off for sure for them, you know, for the Italian biathlon was a big thing. Yeah. So. You know where I'm going with this because in two years' time, the Olympics are 
on the venue, the venue that the most of these, not all, but most of the women on this team grew up in that valley. They're from that valley. Um, and you've got Dorothy Avere um, and Lisa Vitozzi, who are very experienced. And, and you know, it seems like Doro's a year-by-year case. Do, do you... Do you think that last year's World Championships is going to keep Dora on the team through those Olympics? It's hard to say. She did not, did not promise yet. In fact, uh, in Oslo, in at Holman College, we, we had breakfast one, one morning together, just the two of us. Everybody else was still sleeping. And she was only talking about what she will do after the career. Then, you know, for sure, I did not want to push at that point because it was at the end of the, the season. But I could hear that she was a little bit tired, which is normal yeah. at the end of the yeah. tough season. But I can see also, you know, it's exactly the discussion that I've had with guys at Macarena, for example. Right. At that point of the career, it's it's not easy, it's not fair to to push and, and say that you know ask to commit for several years. I think, in fact, it's it's probably better that you you know take a little bit of a shorter project at the time. And then if things right. go well, if you stay healthy, if you're competitive, then it will be an easier decision to make. Yeah. But it but the team the team clearly has a has a goal and do you feel just being the coach like you're there, you're in that pressure cooker now because you know, it's one thing to have on told and have the World Cup there every year, but to turn that venue into the Olympic venue um that that's that's a that's a big ask. Uh and, and how do you see that looming in your daily interaction with the athletes today? I think right now in our everyday life, it's still maybe not nothing, but you know, it's right. still pretty far away. And we right. definitely, we try to, you know, I've said several times that let's take one step at a time. Una pasa per volta, like we say in Italian. <laughs> yeah. So really okay. to, to keep the focus close, we talk about the yeah. four-year project, but but really the you know the goals that we have set are for this season, maybe for next season to have a little bit of a perspective, but that's it. So if you look ahead to just strategically to this season, um, men's and women's teams all combined, what, what do you think would be a successful season for Italy? You know, what are some of the markers you're, you're looking for on the IBU World Cup as a, as a team? For this year, I, I definitely expect that Isa can be fighting for the podium, can be fighting for the victories every day. Uh, anything less would be <laughs> an understatement. Eldoro uh, the same. Uh, then for the younger ones, I'm really hoping that they can show that the level is higher based on the training uh, for the summer or during the summer. I expect that they, they should be more consistent. And I think this is the biggest thing to you know for them to show me that they they can be more consistent more consistently on the points and higher up on the points depending on where they were last year um, and at the same time you know for sure the relays will be a big focus for us again uh, but with the same approach as last year i don't see us as the you know the the only favorites there are several other teams that are very competitive so I would actually say that we are a little bit of the underdogs still, if you compare it to the French team or maybe even the German team. You know, they yeah. now after the, the retirement of Hermann, they, they maybe they're missing the big star, but right. you know, they are they're consistent as a as a team. But to be to be competitive, to be there to fight for the podium as a team of four. 
Yeah, so uh, that was the other thing I want I wanted to, to touch on because um, you know Norway has been a you know Norway and Sweden have both been pretty solid on on the relays, but um, Norway now loses their two biggest like the two big backbones, and, and you're you're a young Italian team. You have two veterans and two and three youngsters on your relatively young athletes on your team. Um, does that vacuum of Norway? How how do you think that's going to change? Change the tone of the women's World Cup this year with the, with those two stars, with um, Marta Olsby-Roislin having a baby and retiring, and and Terrell Eckhoff also retiring. How do you see that? How do from 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 Italy's perspective, what does that what does that look like this season? Ah, it looks interesting. <laughs> I would put it that way. But yeah. as always, you know, if there's a vacuum, it will be filled up. So right. I expect nothing but tough competition. Okay. So uh, let's just go to the let's just go to the IBU World Cup overall. Not maybe not even Italy's Italy's role in it, but just you as a as a pundit now, wearing your pundit's cap, and, and looking at the World Cup season. What do you think is going to be the big story of biathlon World Cup this winter? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I haven't really thought about the overall so much, but uh, yeah. as as discussed already, I think now with the bit of a vacuum there with a bunch of the bigger names retiring. Uh, it will be interesting. And like last year, we had a bit of a change always on the podium with the victories. And so yeah. so I expect that there will be a little bit of that. But uh, at the same time, from, from the Italian perspective, I think it's a huge opportunity, especially this mm-hmm. year. But yeah. at the same time, you know, Bereza Boucher is coming, coming back from the maternity leave and, and so on. So yeah. I think it will be interesting for sure. So besides Lisa and Doro, who do you think are their biggest competitions for the overall? I think the French team in general, Julia Simon for sure, uh, the Swedish athletes, both uh, the sisters, everybody. It, it will be will be tough competition with them. The Czech team has uh, Makula there, so Davidova. So, so I think there are actually several names that can be on the top any given day. Okay. Well, you were... Uh the World Cup is coming back to the United States, and it's a little—it's not really a homecoming for you because you—you—you you, you live basically—you were New Yorkers when you were living there. But does it feel good to come back to the U.S. for for a, a stint? Absolutely, it was actually the last time as well when we were in Soldiervalo. That's really—that was the first time that I really I missed being back in the U.S. So yeah. I have a feeling that it will be a little bit of the same because we definitely we spent quite a few weeks in Utah. Okay, well, I'm excited. I'm actually going to come see all you people face to face for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've committed to doing the PA announcing out there, so that'll be fun. Um, so, one of the things I want to get a little bit personal now, just kind of kind of wrap things up and, and talk to, talk about a little bit more about you as a person. And, and one of the things that I think is is interesting about you is that you've moved around from nation to nation, per, particularly. You know, you see a lot of coaches moving from country to country within the European subcontinent, but you've gone back and forth across the Atlantic, uh, United States, Canada, Finland, Italy. Um, what is it about you, the person that draws you away from, from maybe where most people would be confident, most comfortable in their, in their home setting? Why, why have you been a man of the world? Is is the question, is the question. (laughs) I think, Maybe there's a bit of a gypsy <laughs> soul in me. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to say. I definitely I when I was younger, I was always I was thinking about doing an exchange year, go to the U.S., mm. 
Canada maybe not so much, but you know when the the opportunity arose, then yeah. I was for sure ready to go. Um, I always liked traveling. English mm -hmm. as a language was easy for me, so for sure that w was making it easier you know, always to make a make a decision like that. Uh, but just the you know the curiosity to learn more about the, the different countries, you know the different cultures, um, and especially uh, to move to the U.S. when I when I got the opportunity to bring the whole family, I saw this as a huge opportunity for yeah. for my kids to to uh, attend the school there, learn about the culture and so on. Yeah, I was gonna say like you know we, I was an expat in Finland for for about a year, but you were in, you were in the United States for quite a few. I think what was it eight years? Eight, right, eight, eight years. years. Yeah, yeah, and, and your kids basically grew up as upstate New Yorkers. I mean, they're Finns, of course, but um, you know you think about Campbell Wright. Campbell Wright was, was is a New Zealander, but his parents were both Americans. Kind of like you you were both Finns, but your your kids kind of grew up in, in the United States. Has that? Do you think that that has been? Uh, you know, put a value on that as a parent. Like, what what has that meant to you to see your kids be able to live that kind of of, of di in that kind of different culture and grow up in a different culture? Yeah, I think it's that's huge. Um, when I think about that as a as a dad, as a parent, or even as a coach, you know, the American mm -hmm. system, uh, the the school system, to be able to do several sports within a year. And yeah. always, you know, like a sort of a full season, you know, you have your yeah. soccer season and then in the winter you have the winter sports. And right. all my boys, for example, they played hockey, which I was not yeah. able to do when I was a kid. So, yeah, like I said, huge. Okay. So bring that to Italy. I'm, I'm assuming your family's still in Finland, though. Are you spending time in Italy and, and, and kind of going back and forth between Finland and Italy? I'm traveling constantly, uh, okay. so basically yeah. doing through two, three weeks of a training camp and then back home for a week, 10 days. That's the typical yeah. uh, rotation. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I brought my wife uh, to Italy for a vacation already last year. Now we did actually mm -hmm. two trips this year. First one with our youngest son to show him a little bit of the Italian culture, but also to do like a family training camp because he's doing Nordic combined. So we skipped the jumping part, but did the, the physical training. So I'm a uh, final question. Um, you're in Italy. You've got the Olympics in Italy in two years. What's after that? Have you thought about it? I have not, and that's an honest answer. I <laughs> I definitely I'm yeah. I'm hundred percent focused on this project right now. Uh, committed to bringing in the best results that I can to you know to help all the athletes to help the team. And what happens after that? I don't know. I'm only fifty years old right now, so. We'll see. There's still plenty of time for coaching, but I'll keep keep my eyes open. Okay. Well, Yone, we wish you all the best with uh, with your future decisions, and, and obviously this this coming season, you've got a you've got sort of a, a stable of stallions that you've got to manage coming off a world championship gold medal in the relay, and it's going to be an exciting uh, IBU biathlon World Cup season. We're really excited that you joined us for kind of our biathlon kickoff for threshold going into the season and uh and we're glad that we hope to have you back again uh maybe have you back again sometime in the future thank you very much thanks for having me winning a biathlon world cup race is a major balancing act physically mentally and emotionally it's really what makes the sport so compelling to win a relay is four times more difficult to win the world championships relay is even more immensely complex. To do it with half your team having never done anything close to a feat like that is, well, miraculous.
But the Italian women's win last year at the Oberhof World Championships wasn't a miracle. Looking at the development of the athletes in the program that Yone and his staff had to choose from, the answers were all there, but they had to crack the riddle. To crack the riddle was to make decisions that might have been unpopular with popular veteran athletes, their fans, and even some of their teammates. But when you solve the riddle, the forgiveness for the controversial decision you made as a coaching staff is immediate. The controversy almost instantly forgotten. After all, everyone loves a winner. Lisa Vitozzi has been around a while. As a sports commentator, I felt for her a couple years ago because she was dealing with the yips in a very public way every weekend for millions of viewers to watch. Missing all five shots in the first stage of any biathlon World Cup when the camera is on you is probably about like standing at bat in a pro baseball game with your pants falling to your ankles. Dignity is fundamental to success. With biathlon shooting, Lisa had lost her dignity. But then she got it back, and then some. And good for her. But as a coach, I noticed that dignity happened to follow the hiring of Yonne Kekkonen. Of course, the work was all Lisa's, so kudos to her. But quietly in the background, out of the limelight, is Yonne Kekkonen, enjoying perhaps one of the greatest coaching moments of his career, and certainly one of the best in the sport in recent years. He won't tell you how he helped Lisa get her dignity back and then her confidence. We're just letting you know that he did. That's special for this episode. I'm Chad Somala. Thanks for listening.